Welcome to High Country, Politics in the American West. My name is Sean Diller. Regular listeners might know me from Heartland Pods talking politics every Monday. Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the link for Patreon. Or go to patreon.com slash heartlandpod to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. All right, let's get into it. Denver mayoral candidates Mike Johnston and Kelly Bruff sprint to the finish line. A half-million-dollar contribution from former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg was part of a flood of large donations that's helped former state Senator Mike Johnston open up a two-to-one fundraising lead over opponent Kelly Bruff as the Denver mayor's race enters its final week. Advancing Denver, an independent expenditure committee supporting Johnston's run raised more than $4 million through May 22nd. The pro-Johnston Super PAC has relied on many of the same out-of-state billionaire donors who boosted Johnston's gubernatorial bid in 2018, including Bloomberg, LinkedIn founder Reed Hoffman and hedge fund manager Steve Mandel and John Arnold. Kent Theory, the former CEO of Denver-based dialysis giant DaVita, is the group's largest local donor, while venture capitalists Art Reimers and private equity CEO Eric Resnick have also chipped in with six-figure contributions. About three-quarters of advancing Denver's hall has been spent on TV advertising in support of Johnston, with the remainder spent on digital ads and mail. Johnston and Bruff had raised roughly equal amounts in direct contributions through the end of April, reporting total receipts of $932,060 and $895,612 for their campaign committees, respectively. A better Denver, the Independent Expenditure Committee supporting Bruff, has struggled to raise large sums since the April 4th first-round election, adding just $211,650 to the $1 million it had previously raised in February and March. To date, the pro-Bruff group's top donor during the runoff is Pete Coors, former Republican nominee for U.S. Senate and prolific donor to conservative causes. Coors gave $50,000 to a better Denver on April 24th. Other top donors include real estate interests like the National Association of Realtors, Colorado Construction Industry Coalition, and developer Lloyd Fullenweider. Ballots for the city's runoff election were mailed earlier this month. Voters can return their ballot to a 24-hour drop box or vote in person until 7 p.m. on June 6th. For my part, I am going to be supporting Mike Johnston for mayor ever since I heard that one of the legislators I respect the most, Representative Leslie Harrod, endorsed him as the progressive in the race. But the election I'm really most invested in and most interested in and concerned about is Candy C. DeBaca in District 9 for Denver City Council. There's been a ton of dark money spending against her from private interests, and this is a person who really works for her district a fearless, bold progressive who gets things done. And so I definitely encourage you to donate and volunteer with Candy C. DeBaca if you're able to. You can learn more about Candy at C-A-N-D-I-C-D-E-B-A-C-A dot com. Candy C. DeBaca in District 9. Susana Cordova, former superintendent of Denver Schools, will be Colorado's next education commissioner. The state's Board of Education on Monday named Susana Cordova as the sole finalist among 23 applicants after a unanimous vote. State Board Chairwoman Rebecca McClellan told the Colorado Sun we really appreciated her sharp focus on results for students and outcomes for students with an eye toward equity. She's not only talked the talk, she's proven that she's capable of achieving gains for students. Cordova will take over the position from Katie Anthes, who's stepping down from the role in July after serving as commissioner since December 2016. Cordova began her career as a bilingual language arts teacher and has since worked in education for more than 30 years, including as a teacher, principal, district leader, and currently as a superintendent in residence for Transcend, a national nonprofit focused on helping schools make classrooms more equitable for all students. Cordova was also previously a deputy superintendent for the Dallas, Texas Independent School District. 
Cordova has also taught as an adjunct faculty member at the University of Denver's School of Education and now serves on the university's board of trustees. Cordova will begin steering the state education department at a particularly consequential time for Colorado schools as districts continue to help students recover from lost time and learning during the pandemic and as many communities struggle to recruit and retain educators and manage declining student enrollment. Cordova will begin her tenure just as a state task force is considering changes to how Colorado evaluates its schools, which could potentially affect how much funding schools receive. Colorado Governor Jared Polis celebrated Cordova's selection in a written statement Tuesday, saying her prior work boosting academic progress and improving access to high-quality education for learners of all backgrounds as superintendent of Denver Public Schools is sure to benefit students across the state as she brings this passion and experience to this new role. I look forward to working with Susanna as a member of my cabinet as we continue to carry forward our bold education priorities. Best of luck, Ms. Cordova. Take this job and shove it. Colorado GOP paid no staff in April while fundraising lags under new chairman Dave Williams. It's the first time in at least 20 years the party did not pay any employees. And the party's bank accounts have less money than the $120,540 a recent filing said the party had on hand, the GOP acknowledged in an addendum filed Saturday with the Federal Election Commission. The Colorado GOP raised only about $58,000 in the first four months of the year, including less than $15,000 in April. The party spent more than $15,000 last month, with 9000 going to health and dental benefits. It's unclear if anyone is working for the party. No staff is listed on its website. The lack of a payroll for a state party in Colorado is unusual. From January through April, Colorado's GOP spent more than $263,000. That compares with $539,000 spent in the first four months of 2021, another non-election year when five people were paid for their work in April. Of this year's spending, $73,000 went to Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek for legal services. Dick Wadhams, who ran the state party from 2007 to 2011 and has been critical of Williams, said anybody who gets elected state chair should probably prioritize raising money. You can't run an operation without that. The state Democratic Party raised nearly $92,000 in April and spent nearly $211,000, including about $26,000 on payroll for a half dozen employees. That left the party with nearly $196,000 in cash at the end of April. The Democratic Party raised more than $419,000 in the first four months of the year while spending about $454,000. Campaign accounts or PACs for several of the state's top elected Democrats have donated to the federal party account this year, including United States Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, United States Representatives Diana DeGette of Denver, Yadira Caraveo of Thornton, Jason Crow of Centennial and Jonah Goose of Lafayette, Governor Jared Polis, Treasurer Dave Young, and others. The Colorado GOP received $12,500 from the terminated 8th Congressional District Campaign of State Senator Barbara Kirkmeyer of Brighton in early March. It's the only money the party has received from Republican office holders or candidates this year. This is something we've talked about, that the Colorado State Republican Party is losing standing and struggling in all respects. But the idea we're in the second quarter and only one Republican office holder has given to the state party does not bode well. Support this show and all of the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 per month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. heartlandpod.com, click the Patreon link, or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. And now... Back to the show. Arizona is set for an unpredictable Senate race. 
Democrats and Republicans can at least agree on one thing. They have no idea what's going to happen in next year's Arizona Senate race. The election is shaping up to be an unpredictable three-way contest in one of the nation's premier battlegrounds, featuring an incumbent who left her party, Senator Kirsten Sinema, a polarizing conservative who remains a rock star with her base, Carrie Lake, and a Democratic nominee-in-waiting who would represent a shift to the left for the historically moderate-minded state, Representative Ruben Gallego. Senator Sinema first set the stage when she switched from being a Democrat to an independent late last year. While she called the choice a reflection of who she's always been, the switch also prevented a primary fight with Arizona Representative Ruben Gallego and paved the way for something more unusual. State data shows just under 35% of Arizona voters are registered Republicans and 30% are registered Democrats. 35% aren't registered with either party. If Sinema retires, the race to succeed her could feature Gallego, a Marine Corps vet and former House colleague of Cinemas who has become vocally critical of her, and Republican Carrie Lake, a former TV anchor, election denier, and 2022 Arizona gubernatorial candidate. Both Gallego and Lake are more associated with their party's ideological flanks than the centrists who have historically won statewide in Arizona. State GOP strategist Lorna Romero said it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. I think what's going to make it nasty is obviously Rubin and Kirsten don't get along personally. And depending on who the Republican is, if you get a firebrand like a Carrie Lake again, we've seen how she's operated before, and that's going to take it to another level. 19 operatives from both parties who spoke with ABC News for this story mostly thought that Cinema would run again, pointing to her ongoing fundraising and continued involvement in high-profile legislative pushes like on immigration. Cinema, who previously served in the House for three terms, quickly thrust herself into the heart of several of the chamber's most significant and successful legislative efforts, including on infrastructure, same-sex marriage, guns, and more. And these are all issues where President Biden has signed bipartisan legislation in the last two years. Cinema's style of legislating has generated mixed reviews, with supporters pointing to her scorecard and liberal detractors saying she's been overly eager to water down Democratic priorities, including raising the minimum wage, supporting prescription drug pricing reform, and scrapping the Senate filibuster as a way to codify abortion rights. Cesar Chavez, a former Democratic state lawmaker, said overall, I think the state of Arizona is content with the work that Senator Sinema has done. The issues that Senator Sinema has advocated for will definitely result in a positive tick in her numbers. But Steve Sugaki, a senior advisor to Arizona Secretary of State Adrian Fontes, a former chair of the Maricopa County Democratic Party, had the opposite view. He said, I cannot stress enough how deeply unpopular Sinema is. I traveled the state everywhere last year, and the first question was always, what are we going to do about Senator Sinema? How can we replace her? All of this will play out in the larger context of the battle for control of the Senate, with the Democratic caucus holding a slim 51 to 49 majority, but defending 23 seats in 2024, making operatives eager to avoid a spoiler candidate, but without any agreement on who that would be. A former aide to Senator Sinema said she's shown that she knows what it takes to win in Arizona. I look at these other candidates and I do not see proven winners. So yeah, as a Democrat, I'm nervous because I want to keep Carrie Lake out of the Senate. One former state lawmaker who's supporting Representative Gallego said, If Sinema's in the race as an independent, then Rubin's already at a disadvantage as a Democrat just because of the lower registration numbers that we have. So it comes down to how many votes is Senator Sinema going to take? Even if it's a very small percentage, any small percentage at all could tip this. To be sure, Democrats aren't the only ones wringing their hands. Republican strategists told ABC News that a three-way race with a Democrat and an independent with a Democratic background would normally be a boon to the GOP candidate. But failed 2022 candidate Carrie Lake is looming in the wings and is coming off a narrow loss to Democrat Katie Hobbs, which many observers attributed to her embrace of baseless claims of 2020 election fraud. A source familiar with Lake's thinking told ABC's they are confident she'll run for the Senate, likely launching a campaign in the fall. 
This person also confirmed that Lake recently met with several senators, including National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Steve Daines of Montana, and that with her broad name recognition and support from conservative voters, she would enter the race as the overwhelming primary favorite. GOP strategist Lorna Romero said the cinema breakup from the Democratic Party looks good for Republicans on paper, theoretically, but I think that the big heartburn is what's going to happen out of a Republican primary, and are we just going to do the same ridiculous mistakes over and over again, and Democrats are just going to continue to win in the state. Still, virtually every person who spoke to ABC News added the caveat that their analyses could end up being off given the unpredictable nature of a potential race with the incumbent running as the third party candidate. One Democratic strategist said, we've never seen anything like this in Arizona. I just think trying to predict anything right now, you might as well shake a magic eight ball and see what that tells you. And for your unsolicited concert pick of the week, Sir Richard Starkey, MBE, otherwise known as Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr and his all-star band are on a Western United States tour with shows this week in San Diego, Eugene and Bend, Oregon, and next week playing Denver's Belco Theater and the Pikes Peak Center in Colorado Springs. Tickets and information at RingoStar.com. Well, that's it for me. From Denver, I'm Sean Diller. Original reporting for the stories in today's show come from Colorado Newsline, Colorado Sun, ABC News, Arizona Mirror, and Denver's Westward. Thank you for listening. See you next time.